Well, today we are firmly in the middle of a teaching series about forgiveness. And if you are coming in today and you're thinking, oh no, I'm in the middle of the story, uh, we'll catch you up before we get started. Now, one thing that if you have been here, you maybe learned that forgiveness is not so easy or so simple as maybe we have thought. It's something we toss around a lot when we talk about our faith. Oh yeah, we forgiveness of God and that kind of thing. But it is a very deep and difficult topic, especially when it comes to living out a life of forgiveness. Now, to recap where we've been so far before we dive into the hardest part, which I think is today, uh, in today's message. Um, in the first week, we talked about how when one person sins against another person, when one person hurts another person, betrays another person, lies about another person, does something wrong, cruel, violent to another person, the relationship between those two people changes. Whether you're husband, wife, parent, child, friends, coworkers, whatever, the relationship between two people changes when sin gets in the middle of those two people. And sin creates what we call a debt debtor relationship, meaning it changes your relationship from husband, wife, parent, child, friend, coworker, whatever, to lender, to debtor, to borrower, to creditor. And it changes everything. And the reason we do this is because when somebody hurts us, we just kind of instinctively feel that they owe us something. They've taken something from us, they've hurt us, and that there's some off balance, there's some debt that needs to be paid back. And sometimes we think they're the ones that need to make this right with some over-the-top grand gesture of, you know, apology. You know, I'm so sorry for offending you. We want them to go way out of the way, over the top, to make up for it. Or sometimes we think it's our responsibility to make things right, you know? I've said this before, and you guys repeated it really well. Don't get mad. Yeah, be glad. Okay, some of you, yeah, that's better, but not for our purposes today, what we're talking about. Don't get mad, get even, right? That's, we all kind of know that, and again, we instinctively want that because we know that when somebody has wronged us, when sin gets into to a relationship, it creates a debt that must be paid back that exists between two people. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I, we were hanging out at my youth minister's house and, and, in a parsonage, mind you. So this was on church property where I exhibited my most godly behavior, as you'll see. Um, so I was parked in my youth minister's driveway, and another one of our friends came to join us, and he pulled up behind my car and thought it would be funny to gently nudge my car. Now, I was sensitive about my car, not because it was nice, but because people had a, I had a history of people doing bad things to my car. Okay, I told you the first week I had somebody smash up with a baseball bat once. So as soon as he hits my car, and it wasn't, he wasn't like driving into it. I mean, he did it on purpose. It was gentle. But I hear the back bumper go, you know, and like dent in. And I was like, I was so just immediately enraged. And, uh, you know, I couldn't hit the guy because he was a hemophiliac. You know what that is? It's where when they bleed, they don't stop bleeding. So, you know, like, I at least had a moment of thinking that, you know, I can't hit him in the face. Uh, so, but, but without much thought, as soon as he hit my car, I just walked up and put a size 10 and a half dent in his front fender. So he just, his face goes from like one of joy to shock real quick. He backs up his car and my bumper goes back out, not a scratch on it. And then I have to pay several hundred dollars to get his bumper or his fender fixed. And it was weird because, you know, again, no thought went into that, obviously. 
but it was weird because it was like I just instinctively did it. I, I knew that there was something off balance. He did something to me, so I had to do something right back. And most of us feel that way. Nobody has to teach us that sin creates a debt. My kids demonstrate that instinct all the time. And if you've got kids, they do too. And, and so this just is something that we feel. And so since this debt exists, my favorite definition of forgiveness comes from from Andy Stanley when he says this. He says, forgiveness means we release that person and say, you don't owe me. That we release the debt that the person uh, of whatever they've done against us, we release them and say, I'm not going to pay you back. I don't expect you to pay me back. Whatever offense was done, the debt is gone. Even though they're guilty, even though they may know they're guilty, even though you're angry, even though you're hurt, we still look at them and we say, I release this debt. You don't owe me a thing. And that's really, really difficult for us in some ways and really not difficult for us in others. For instance, most of us don't have any trouble asking God for forgiveness and wanting God to forgive us. Oh, dear God, forgive me of my sins. I've mentioned in the first week, sometimes, you know, we, we treat forgiveness like this Hail Mary pass that we throw up before we go to bed just to make sure before we go to sleep, if anything happens in the middle of the night, we've asked for our sins to be forgiven. And so we don't have a problem kind of looking to God for forgiveness. But man, when it comes to, to us forgiving other people, that can be incredibly, incredibly difficult. Because sometimes you don't want to forgive. Because if it's letting that debt go, man, they owe you something. It, why would you just let them off the hook that way? And so sometimes we just struggle with simply wanting to forgive. We, it doesn't matter if we know it's the right thing to do, if it's what God wants us to do. That desire to let that anger sit and fester and hold on to that. And one day, hope that, that, you, know, that you can make, it, you know, make them pay for what they've done to you. That can hang over you. But, but maybe, even if you want to forgive, maybe even if you want to put it behind you, sometimes it just feels impossible, right? Because you think, the hurt's too, too deep, the anger's too strong. How could I ever forgive them for what they have possibly done to me? I could never, ever get over that. And, and you can get to this point where you've held on to it for so long, and you've thought about how horrible they were to you, whoever they are, whatever it is they've done to you, you can think about that so long that you feel justified in holding on to it, even as a Christian. Even though we talk about forgiveness all the time, even though forgiveness is one of the main foundational elements of our faith, we can feel justified in holding on to that. And what's even worse, I guess worse, feels good at the time, but all your friends will support you in your continued anger. All your friends will say, yeah, absolutely they deserve you to be mad at them. Absolutely you should never talk to them ever again until the end of time. And, and what's really weird is that we live, most of us in this, I think in the room, we live in a small town setting. Small towns are full of very present history between people. Everybody remembers everything that everybody has ever done, ever. <laughs> this is one reason why if my home church ever contacted me and said, hey, we'll pay you a million dollars to be our pastor. No. Because everybody remembers that time I kicked Ryan Welty's car. Everybody remembers all the dumb things I've done. I mean, everybody remembers. That's just part of a small town, right? And so small towns are full of these big, small, yet very firm grudges that exist in relationships all over town. Because 
That one person, they took the opposite stance as you at that school board meeting 15 years ago. Or that one time you guys ran for, you know, town, city council or something, and they beat you, and heaven forbid you're never going to talk to that person again until the day you die, you know. Or you've got couples who were together and got divorced, and now all they can do is scowl at each other from across the street. And so small towns are full of this stuff. And again, your friends, they say, yeah, of course that's how it should be. Of course they did that thing to you. Of course everybody, you know, these, these grudges should exist. The anger should be held on to. We shouldn't just let it all go. And what's interesting is not only in small towns do we have people that have hurt us and so we're never going to associate with them again, but our friends will cut that person off too, even though that person has never directly done anything to your friend because that's just being a good friend. You know, you hurt my friend, I ice you out until the day you die. Like, that's just how it is until all eternity. And so that's what exists in small towns, this idea that it's okay for these grudges to exist because we all know the history. We all know what they've done. We all know who hurt who and who offended who. And everybody supports it. And it becomes part of the culture to the point where forgiveness isn't something that, it's something we talk about and we like in in theory, but it's not something we typically want to practice because it's just too hard. And plus, nobody else does anyway. So regardless of the fact that it's in our culture and that a lot of people think holding on to that anger and those grudges are okay, what if it's not okay? What if God has a problem with it? What if if the anger that you are holding on to, the hurt that you are holding on to, what if there are real spiritual consequences to you hanging on to that rather than letting it go and letting them no longer owe you? Well, there is a pretty scary statement, actually multiple scary statements from Jesus. Um, One of them we're going to look at, if you want to go ahead and get a Bible, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know what that is, that is one of Jesus' most famous sermons. It stretches three chapters of our New Testament, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We are right in the middle of that. We're going to start Matthew 6, 14, and then we're going to jump back a few verses and explain why he said what he said. But what Jesus says here, it should scare you if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, this should bother you. If you are a person who has ever struggled to forgive, this should make you think very, very seriously. Because, yeah, well, I'll read it, and then I'll explain why it should bother us. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So what he's saying here basically is God forgives us as we forgive others. If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't, he won't. And that should bother you if you're a Christian and you've ever struggled to forgive. And it should make you think because as a Christian, aren't we always taught that forgiveness is free? Aren't we taught that, you know, it's the free gift of God, it's the grace of God, and we don't have to do anything to earn the forgiveness of God? And yet here we have this verse here that seems to imply that maybe there is a cost, and it feels like a cost. If, we're, if I'm called to forgive, like I've already said, there's, there's a debt there, and I'm just supposed to let that go? That means forgiveness from God costs me something, and that can feel a little bit strange, but I want to kind of go ahead and, and try to explain this as we go through here today, because, man, I just got to i got to think, sometimes I'm somebody who wants to hang on to my grudges so often. And and sometimes, like I said, sometimes people do stuff that's so big and atrocious to us that it feels impossible to forgive. And so I can think, how can God expect 
How can he expect this of me? How can he put this weight on my shoulders that in order to have forgiveness from him, I have to forgive other people? Isn't he maybe asking too much? Well, right before these words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, we find a prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples that sheds a lot of insight in how God uh, and how seriously God takes this issue of forgiveness and why he expects us to forgive other people. So let's back up just a few verses to verse 9. This is a prayer, mind you. And most of us know a version of this prayer. Uh, sometimes we say debts and debtors. Sometimes we say trespasses and trespassers and those who have trespassed against us, sin, sinners, all There's a lot of different versions. This one goes with debts. So Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he opens this prayer acknowledging the supremacy of God, that God is in charge of all things, that God is to be respected as the ruler of all things, or maybe a better way to say it would be the rule maker of all things. And then he goes to verse 10 here, and he says something very powerful that really should change the way that you think about praying and think about the way, or change the way you think about following Christ. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before he asks for anything, before he teaches us to pray, asking God to do anything for us, first he says, God, primarily, I want what you want to happen. I want what, what you want to happen here and now. Because you see, our world is broken. Earth is broken. Life on earth is broken. That's why we have to talk about forgiveness. Because we're doing stuff to each other that we shouldn't do in the first place. And there is sin upon sin upon sin. Our world is full of murder, greed, selfishness, destructions of various kinds, deceptions, attempted genocides, and on and on and on we could go talking about all the sins that humans creatively inflict on one another. And verse 10 says, is acknowledging our world is broken. But Father, there's a place where your will is perfect and carried out in heaven. And he says, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to, I want everything you want to be here and now. And one thing that we need to understand about the final kingdom of God, that w when God is, has ultimate rule and reign over all things, is that it will be a place of peace. Peace. That there will be ultimate peace between humans and God, and that there will be ultimate peace between all of humans. That means there will be no more grudges, no more crying, no more anger, no more betrayal, no more sin, no more lies. In God's kingdom, there is peace between all people. That means that grudges cannot exist. That means we cannot carry over anger and bitterness and rage and hurt from this broken life if we want to make it in God's kingdom. That stuff can't be taken with us. Just like you can't take the money from your bank account to heaven, you should not be able to take your grudges to heaven as well. You cannot take your grudges. Because God's kingdom is one of final, ultimate peace. So what you have had done to you cannot go with you into heaven. There will be ultimate peace between all humans, all God. No hatred, no war, no grudges. And so, to pray for God's kingdom to come here and now, it means you acknowledging that even... The anger you feel, even the hurt they've caused you, no matter how deserving you are of feeling those feelings, that has got to disappear. That has got to go away. That has got to be released and forgiven. 
So after we say God's kingdom, we pray for God's kingdom. Jesus says, now go on and pray. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, I love that he starts with our stomachs because half of you right now are thinking, wrap it up, preacher. I already got something in the oven or I got that buffet waiting on me. I get it. That's what I'm thinking. You know, we got the Easter egg hunt today that's in town at, at one and it usually takes me and Ben a while to wrap things up here before we leave and so I'm going to probably leave here and get my kids and go straight out to the park and yesterday when I learned that they rescheduled it my first thought was when am I going to eat you know so I like that he starts with our stomach a little bit you know because that's that's what we think about but then he talks about forgiving our sins and notice these are one one sentence give us to stay our daily bread and forgive us our debts and the reason I think those go together is because just as eating should be a part of every single day, so should us asking God for forgiveness. You see, Christians, we are supposed to be aware that we're sinners. We are supposed to be aware that we are not perfect, that we don't, make, that we don't get through every day, lay our head on the pillow and go, nailed it today, got everything right today, awesome. God, I'm not even going to ask for forgiveness because I, it was just a slam dunk day. Good night. You're welcome. You know, that's not how, I mean, we should be humbly aware that we mess up constantly, that we have thoughts that we shouldn't have, that we say things we shouldn't say. We should be daily aware of those things and humbly asking God to forgiveness, humbly approaching God as sinners broken in need of his grace and mercy, saying, God, I am far, far, far from being who you have called me to be. And so Jesus says every day, just like you ask for food, just like you go to get breakfast, just like you go to get lunch, just like you open the fridge wondering what you can have before you go to bed because that's how we do, right? Just like that, we should constantly be seeking God's forgiveness every single day. All right. It's one of those days again. That's fine. And so then Jesus tacks on this other little bit that is tricky, this other little bit that almost like you know, we can almost forget it if we're not paying attention. He says, so forgive us our debts as we have also, or as we also have forgiven our debtors. He says, forgive us as we have also forgiven our debtors. Meaning that before we have come to ask God for forgiveness, we've already forgiven anybody who has stuff against us. And that is tricky. It's, tr it's so backwards because it's easier for me to ask God for forgiveness than it is to forgive other people. But God says, forgive, just as going to the refrigerator, just as asking for forgiveness should be a part of our day, so should this continual letting go of all the debts, letting go of all the hurts. That should be a normal, everyday part of our life. Because again, what Jesus is saying here is that in my kingdom, there's no room for debts. In my kingdom, there's no room for grudges. In my kingdom, there's no room to hold on to anger and hurt. We've got to let it all go. And so when you pray a prayer like this, you're basically saying, God, I want your kingdom, not my grudges. God, I want your will, not my anger. And that can be, again, very, very hard to forgive. And you, and you might even think, that's too much. How can God expect me to, to let go of some of the things? How can God, he doesn't even know what I've gone through. You might even think, and I think sometimes we do this a lot as Christians, you might think, if God really knew what I was going through, he'd give me a pass on this one. That's how we as Christians kind of end up treating the Bible like a buffet, and we take what we like and we leave what we don't, because we think if God really knew what I was going through, he wouldn't hold me to these unrealistic expectations, because if God really knew how much I had been hurt, he would not ask me to forgive those ridiculously painful things that people have done to me. But here's the thing, 
God does know. And as much as you've been hurt, God has been hurt that much. Uh, this week, as we come to uh, what we call Passion Week, or the week that leads up to when we celebrate Jesus dying on the cross and rising for our sins, um, what we are celebrating is the fact that God stepped into our world to take on my sins and your sins, to pay a punishment for those sins so that we don't have to, so that we can have forgiveness. And Jesus did that. As we saw last week, Jesus came into our world to offer us forgiveness because he loves us. Not because he had to, but because he cares about you, and he doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell for your sins. He loves you and wants to forgive you and wants you to be with him forever in heaven. And so as we come and we celebrate this time of year, we have to remember exactly what happened. Jesus comes into the world because he loves us. And the people that he came into this world for, the people that he loves, beat him, stripped him naked, mocked him, put nails, not, not like, you know, a little drywall nail, I mean, like big old honking railroad spikes through his wrist and his feet, and we hung him on a cross. And then the people that he loved, the people that he came to this world for, walked by him and spit on him as he hung on that cross. It was the ultimate betrayal. It was the ultimate ridicule. And while people are marching in front of Jesus, spitting on him as he's laying there, or hanging there, excuse me, in agony. Because if you don't know um, much about crucifixion, which, why would you? There's, you know, we don't do it anymore. But the way you died on a, on a, by crucifixion was you suffocated. Because you would hang there and you would have to pull yourself up on the nails that are in your flesh and take a breath and then you would hang down as and as your body got more and more weary as time rolled on and the hours passed and the sun beat down on you you would slowly lose your ability to take those breaths and pull yourself up by those wounds until you slowly agonizingly suffocated and as people were marching by celebrating that the one who loved them the god of the universe was dying on that cross what did jesus say whoops skip that it says, when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. This isn't after time has passed and he's gotten over it. This isn't after years have gone by and the wound is healed a little bit. This is in that very moment when he is in agony and he's being spit on and ridiculed and mocked that he says, Father, forgive them. So that idea of saying, God doesn't know what I'm going through. If he knew what I went through, he'd give me a pass. That is not a good excuse. He has been in the deepest amount of anguish for those that he came to save, those he loved. And in, in the midst of that pain, he was still able to pray, Father, forgive them. And so we can't say that he doesn't know how hard it is to truly forgive. But if we want his kingdom, if we truly want to be a part of God's kingdom. We want his kingdom to reign here and now. If we want his way to be the way, then forgiveness must be something that we commit ourselves to. 
It is not something we can gloss over. It is not something we can say, say is okay because it's just a part of the culture and everybody's got a good memory and we all remember. No, as Christians, we are called to follow in his example. And he gives us that strong statement saying, God will forgive you as you forgive other people. So if you don't forgive, if you decide I'm going to hold on to my grudges come hell or high water, then if you hold on to that stuff, then God says that means you don't want to be a part of my kingdom. If God says, if you're going to say, I want my anger more than I want forgiveness. If you're going to choose debts over freedom, if you're going to choose justice and they must pay over mercy, then you are saying, I do not belong in God's kingdom because I care more about holding on to what's been done to me rather than rejoicing in what Jesus has done for me by taking my sins away. Now, in his kingdom, there is no grudge, no anger, no pain. Those things have no place. And we should be glad for that. We should rejoice the fact that, yes, I've got to let go of what they've done to me, but we must always be remembering as we, especially as like this week as we are kind of, our focus is centering on the cross, we should be remembering that, yes, I've got to let go of that stuff, but, but my list of wrongs, the things I've done, the things I've said, the ways I've hurt people, the horrifying ways that I have lived my life in certain moments, all of that stuff has been released. God has let that go. God has washed that away by the blood of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, and that we are simply called to follow in his example because he does not just give us a better way to live and show us a better way to live. He lived that better way. He is our constant example to follow. And that doesn't make forgiveness any easier, and it still feels very impossible some days. And so um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of uh, insight of what I do. And uh, because as, you're, as you come to those moments, you think what people have done to you. And, and, you know, and I, I look at my life and I think of some of the things people have done to me and the things I, I get mad about and I hold on to. You know how many, how many worse things there are in the world? You know, and I'm mad about that thing somebody said that one time. And they didn't even realize they hurt my feelings, but I'm over here like two years later like, huh, I don't like you because you said that thing to me that one time. I mean, and then, but yet there's so much bigger sins in the world and, and we hold on to those. And, I, and I'm so weak and un, unable sometimes it feels like to let those things go. And so um, I just pray, Lord, give me the strength to forgive when it seems impossible. Lord, give me the strength to forgive others as you forgive me. Lord, give me a love for those people that feel like they're my enemies, just as you have loved me when I acted like your enemy. Father, replace my anger toward them with the grace and mercy that you show me each and every day. And even if I can't always easily let go of the sins the way God has called me to, I at least want to be somebody who says, God, help me to. God, give me that grace. God, give me that strength. God, help me replace that impossible amount of anger with your ridiculous amount of love. And again, that's not always easy, but Jesus is our constant example of that. And so, I apologize that this topic of forgiveness doesn't get any easier the more weeks we talk through it, but the bar gets raised higher and higher and higher. But it's only because we have a good God who wants something better for you. He wants an, a life for you, an existence for you, an eternity for you, where you're not still angry, where you're not still bitter, where you're not still avoiding eye contact with that person in the, at the basketball game. He wants something better for you. Not just forgiveness for you, but forgiveness from you and peace, ultimate peace among all people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 
forgiveness that you show us. And I ask, Father, that you would help us to be people who forgive. It might not feel easy, it might not seem easy, but I just pray, Father, that you would, that you would help us see our need to let go of the debts against us. I pray that you would help us, Father, of the debts we have against others. I pray that you would help us to be people who love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and, and are rude to us and cruel to us. Because sometimes it feels like we're just bookkeepers and we're just writing down every bad thing anybody's ever done and we're going to remember that till the day we die. But that's not, that's not a record you've called us to hold on to. And just as Jesus released our sins, I pray that we would be able to release the sins of others against us, no matter how big, no matter how daunting, no matter how painful, because you've called us to a better way, a better kingdom, a better life. So thank you for that. May we be people who are determined to forgive, even when it's hard and when it feels impossible to lean on you for the strength and hope and the transformation to be people who can forgive. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.